Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Avedisian, the Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Ani, Mad Shaman Avedisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism, give it all a good hard shake and pour, dress it with the olives of grace and empathy, sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic co-creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining me for yet another round of cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true, dun, da, dun, da, what's woo, dun, da, dun, da, and what gets flushed down the loo. In today's, oh look, there goes another sky balloon, news reports are nothing more than silly cartoons, willful ignorance is mankind's biggest ailment, do you know the scoop behind the Ohio derailment? The elephant in the room grows bigger and bigger. If you spot it, feel free to pull the trigger. Bruised, confused, abused, madcap little world. As always, my darlings, we try to do this with as much dignity and decorum as can be mustered on any given day. We are not always successful, I'll admit to that. But we are on a bound to give it our best shot. And on this show, the Metaphysical Martini Show, we do love the odd shot now and then. Yes, we do. In fact, let me take a sip of today's drinky poo to see if I have selected a winner or a sinner. So hold on there, darlings. Don't go away. I'm going to test the cocktail du jour. Hold on. Oh! <laughs> that is spicy. Oh my gosh, I'm awake now. That is definitely a winner, not a sinner. I am very happy with that. And I'll talk more about this lovely beverage at the end of the show. But for now, if you're joining us for the first time, be advised this show is not politically correct because we do not wish to erode the intellect. We don't do woke BS on this show. We honor common sense, common courtesy, and common decency. We promote individual sovereignty and the art of critical thinking. Fancy that. You see, darlings, without free thinking sovereign beings, there would be no expansion of consciousness. And therefore, in my opinion, no point in having physical incarnations. And without physical incarnations, we can't have chocolate. The establishment wants microchipped compliant automatons confined to 15-minute cities, consuming recycled artificially created food. You know, rats in cages performing for the amusement of their corporate overlords. To that, we martini heads say, good luck with that, matey, because we don't bend the knee to anyone. We don't even bow down to God. 
Does that sound arrogant to you? It's not, you see. We don't bow down to God. We raise our arms, our souls, and our beings up to meet God. We don't expect the divine to look down upon its creations and feel sorry for them. Why would the divine lower itself when the point of it all is to remember our true nature? And what is our true nature, my darlings? Our true nature is cosmic, eternal, unlimited, and bloody marvelous. The point is to be here to create a utopian physical realm from which we need no escape. So, a warm welcome to you all. <laughs> if you want to explore that journey with us and have a good laugh, welcome on board. Welcome, welcome. We're going to have one heck of a ride. Now, if on the other hand, you are narrow-minded, fearful, and generally feeble-minded, please give this show a miss and avoid a potential psychotic break. You have been warned. Well, uh, let me take another sip of this drink. <laughs> You know, it's one of those drinks that grows on you. Hold on. Oh, my God, is that spicy. What should we talk about today? I'm getting pretty tuned up already. Let's discuss morality. And let's do so because without a moral compass, our world is doomed. So we'll talk about morality. What is it? What is it not? What is a moral compass and, and who gets to decide? This is one of those wonderful subjects that you get together with your debating group and you talk for hours and hours and hours about it. Um, we don't have hours and hours, so let's start with the dictionary definition of morality. Morality, noun. One, the quality of being in accord with standards of right or good conduct. Two, a system or collection of ideas of right and wrong conduct. Three, virtuous conduct. So what we're dealing with here is a set of personal and or social standards for good or bad behavior and character. We're talking about the quality of being right, being honest, being acceptable and anything in that arena. But who decides those standards? Is morality something fixed? Well, I think not. I mean, what is considered acceptable in one culture may be considered unacceptable in another. And by culture, I don't just mean geographic location. There's religion, educational indoctrination, you know, the standards or lack thereof our parents instill in us. All of this, you know, just goes into the culture pot. Our collective experience is the ongoing culture. And social mores, they will change as civilization evolves or devolves. Once upon a time, not too long ago, premarital sex was frowned upon. No one really cares much now. And, well, just a, a hop, skip and a jump in the past, same-sex partnerships were hush-hush. I mean, we all knew people had them, but we didn't talk about them. We didn't talk about your strange little Uncle Albert and his friend Peter from the chip shop. No, that was all very hush-hush, but not so much now. Even smoking marijuana was considered deviant behavior not so long ago. They came up with these movies called Reefer Madness and convinced everyone that if they smoked a joint, they were going to be degenerates and their children were going to be degenerates and all of that. Now... 
We have more weed shops than taverns in some towns. I certainly know that to be true in the Pacific Northwest. And contraception was considered immoral once. Now we encourage it. And we encourage it to prevent unwanted pregnancies and also the spread of sexually transmitted diseases. And damn good thing too, because in my opinion, not that I'm a prude, we're far too promiscuous as a society, but that's, you know, that's my personal moral code. Um, you know, I don't want my opinion legislated. So society's moral code may not be in alignment with your personal code, but we're all taught some version of universally accepted morals, aren't we? I mean, for example, be kind, be polite, don't be rude, don't lie, don't steal, respect other people's property. Uh, what was a big one for me in school? Do as you would be done by, uh, help others if you can, don't engage in gossip, support your family, return favours. So your personal code of ethics may not be aligned with society's code of ethics. So let's ask if morality and ethics are the same thing. Arnie? Yes, Arnie. Are morality and ethics the same thing? It depends on who you ask. Some say morality is your personal code and ethics are defined as society's code. So it is possible that your personal morality contradicts the ethics of your community. Society. I should say those who manipulate society, love telling us how we should conduct ourselves, what is good moral behavior and what is not. The last three years have certainly proved that to be true, haven't they? Societal pressure to wear a face diaper, to inject ourselves with toxic bioweapons and relentlessly mock free thinkers, that was off the Richter scale. Can I think of another example? Yes, I certainly can. Taxes, paying taxes. We are told it is our civic duty to pay taxes, our moral obligation to fund the government. Okay, while I agree that some sort of funding is necessary because some sort of limited federal government is necessary, I personally feel that the IRS is an immoral organization which exists to cover up establishment money laundering. Perhaps you as a person are generally courteous and you're courteous to everyone and you have gay neighbors and, but you're courteous to them because you're a nice person, but you believe same-sex partnerships to be immoral, even though the law of the land writes a different story. You know, how you conduct yourself is your personal moral code and your moral code might differ greatly from laws that have been passed to regulate human behavior often time under the false label of for the public good or for public health, for public safety. If the law of the land says it is against the law to steal, end of story, no ands, ifs or buts, when you steal from another, you go to prison. That's it. That's what the law says is moral. Well, what, what about you losing your job? perhaps because you disagreed with an immoral mandate that the government decided to put out. And what if you can't get another job because you disagreed with an immoral mandate that that same government put out? And because you can't get a job, your children are malnourished and literally starving. 
Does your moral code guide you to follow society's ethic and to let your children starve and die? Well, of course not, and I jolly well hope not. Your family comes first. Stealing might be considered immoral by society at large, and indeed it might be against your personal ethic, but so is letting your children die. I mean, committing that sort of murder is certainly worse than stealing a loaf of bread from somebody. Putting food into your child's mouth is definitely the right thing to do, whether or not society says it's immoral because you stole. You know, many of my clients are military veterans and they are quite colorful. And I've heard some very colorful stories over the years with regard to disobeying officers' orders. Now, enlisted men are under obligation. I think they swear that they will obey the officers. But if I had a dollar for every time I heard something along the lines of, well, if I didn't take action, that stupid green lieutenant or lieutenant, as we say here, um, would have made that decision and the entire platoon would have been eliminated and blah, 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 blah. I've heard that so many times. People disobeying orders because they feel spiritually, morally obligated to take a different course. Darlings, it is not possible to have a meaningful life without defining your core moral principles and sticking to them come what may. Now, we know now that the medical chemical industrial marketing complex is a giant brainwashing operation and a money laundering operation. How many of those doctors and nurses do you think knew that the shot was not a vaccine, but something more nefarious? And seeing how heavily censored, ridiculed, and threatened the whistleblowers were, how many of them had the courage to speak out once they figured it out? How many followed the guidance of their personal moral code? I'll leave that there for now, because we all know it was only a handful. And color it any way you please. If a medical practitioner knowingly gave people these death shots, according to my moral code, they are accessories to murder and should be tried and sentenced accordingly. So, okay, what does it take to develop this moral code, this moral compass? What does it take to instill, to develop a sense of moral intelligence? Aren't we born knowing right from wrong? That's an interesting question. I mean, we're eternal beings and blah, blah, blah. But are we born knowing right from wrong? Well, yes. Yes, we are. But here's a little problem, you see. On this realm, humans are born as babies. And even though the soul is eternal and therefore quite experienced at living on and negotiating different realms, when they are stuck inside little baby bodies, they are good at drinking milk, peeing and pooping and not much else until they grow up. So guardianship then becomes king. Who will guide the baby soul and how? Or the soul within the baby is more accurate. That makes a big difference. We know that not all parents are good guardians. So as we grow up and mess up, the experience... Um, 
Well, it colors us and, and we get to experience the consequences of our bad choices. And as we experience the consequences of our bad choices, we feel the need as we grow to straighten up and fly right. That's not always easy to do, is it? Because the human race has been conditioned to feel unworthy and that leads to victimhood and self-loathing, vibrations that severely limit our divine bandwidth. This makes self-honesty challenging, painful even, and most people I know would rather have a root canal than sit down in quiet contemplation and self-analysis. And here we are reminded of the insidious nature of the false ego. You know, alone with only the divine, who would never gossip about us, we doubt deep down our ability to do better. But if we don't do better, we will hate ourselves more. And it's only a matter of time before people who hate themselves start to hate everyone else. And hatred severely restricts our cosmic bandwidth. But it broadens our base emotion bandwidth, connecting us with the great miasma of collective insecurity. And that's not good, people. That's bad. Now, she takes a sip of her very spicy cocktail. I am honestly surprised I can talk <clears throat> after that, but it's so delicious. I can't stop. Slow down, Annie. Let's ask a question. Is everyone born with a virtuous character? We may all be source, but we are all unique with different characteristics. The goal, once incarnate, is to refine those personalities, those personas, to be the best versions of ourselves. One needs discipline to refine the personality, to transform by engraving reliable, virtuous habits into the personality. It helps if you realize your true cosmic nature, and that can be approached in many ways, spiritual, religious, or secular. But one thing we do know, and we have to take this seriously, character development isn't a casual hobby. It's a way of life. The game of life doesn't have moral free zones. If we are serious about being the best version of ourselves, we have to be clear about who we truly are. Now, how many people present different versions of themselves for different occasions? Is there a work version of you? And then perhaps is there a home with the family version of you? And perhaps a night out with the boys version of you? And maybe even a be charming to my in-laws version of you? and then some other version that you pull out when you don't quite know which way to go. And that begs the question, which is the real you, if any of them? Because why would we need so many versions of ourselves unless we are living a lie, which most of us are? Perhaps a better question would be, they may be differing versions, differing versions of me or you, but do all those versions share the same moral code? If that's a yes, then I won't have any concerns for your mental health. But if each version does have a different standard, then we have a problem. 
and so many minds out there today are fractured. As with most things, excellence is achieved through practice, through persistence, diligence, focus. Those, those will create healthy habits. We make the refinement of the personality a habitual practice. We don't get to commit nine immoral acts and then go, oh my God, what have I done? Um, oh, I'll cancel them out by giving nine homeless people $9 each. It doesn't work that way. We don't ping pong between virtue and vice. That will only result in mental health issues. The whole planet right now is one giant mental health issue. You see, my darlings, to be the best possible version of ourselves, we cannot be fragmented in any way. We need full inner alignment. We need all of us to show up for everything. We need to be the ones running our minds in alignment with divine mind. Our character sets the groundwork for how we experience the world. Mean-spirited people create mean-spirited worlds and diminish growth. Open-minded, free-thinking, heart-centered people create interesting, inspired worlds and expand consciousness. Don't be afraid to sit down with yourself and have a conversation. Practice mindfulness and, oh my God, people go on about mindfulness and people write books about it and, oh, let me be mindful and all of it. What does it mean? It means be aware. Be aware of your five senses. Your, start with your five physical senses. Be aware. Awareness of what, you may ask? Awareness of you. How comfortable you are in any given situation. How comfortable are you just being you in your skin? Awareness of your thoughts versus the voices in your head. Awareness of your feelings, of your ability to process your feelings. Awareness of how you react to any given situation, including your own past actions. You see, the way I think about it, and I do think about these things, is our moral code is the glue that holds us together. It is imperative that we identify our moral intuitions and our belief systems. If you've never done this before, and many people haven't, because for some reason it's terrifying, here are a few tips. I say pick the hot topics of the day and ask yourself where you stand on those issues and then identify why. How did you get to those conclusions? It's very simple process if you do it calmly, objectively, gently and kindly. And also if you do some deep breathing first and acknowledge that you are more than just your personality. So let's pick a few hot topics together. Let's pick something really hot right now. What about abortion? <laughs> oh, that always gets a rise. Where do you stand on that? Now, first off, what's your initial off-the-cuff response? Have a think. Off-the-cuff. Where do you stand on abortion? Go. All right. Now, 
Can you explain to me in a calm, objective manner why you feel that way? I'm not attacking you by asking a question. So many people feel attacked when they're questions. I'm just saying, can you explain to me in a calm, objective manner why you feel that way? Is it because you were conditioned to believe it is either right or wrong? Did you ever question that conditioning? And the explanation you just gave, are those your words from your own thought process? Do you understand the subject matter well enough to form an opinion? Would you be able to engage in debate with opposing points of view and remain respectful, open-minded and objective? It's not that easy, is it? But it's necessary and it does get easier. What about, let me take a sip of my drinky poo. I'll come up with another hot topic. Hold on. Oh, mm, yum-o-matic. Okay, what about the death penalty? Da, 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 da. All right, apply the same criteria and throw this in. Would your opinion change if the victim of a heinous crime was your wife or daughter? Think about that. And it's okay if it does. What we want from this exercise is to develop a capacity for self-honesty, for self-trust. Because darling's life, physical life, is a series of corrections. Conflict is inevitable. And what we do and what we wish we had done is part of that conflict. I emphasize self-honesty and self-trust because if we are internally aligned, that contrast lessens and eventually disappears. Our conversations with all that is are no longer interrupted by the distractions of the false ego mind. And if you really want to go down the rabbit hole of your minds, what are your thoughts on money and the accumulation of wealth? Louise Hay often said it was easier to talk about sex with people than it was to talk about money, that people were less triggered talking about sex than they were about money. It's interesting how much of our self-worth is tied up to our income. So apply the same criteria and also ask yourself, if I was absolutely broke, would I do anything for money? And again, be warned, money stirs up more inner dirt than just about anything else. Would you kill for coin? Would you have sex with a stranger for coin? Would you commit grievous bodily harm for coin? Again, it's okay to ask ourselves these questions. It's imperative that we ask these questions. And please be chill because the conversation is between you and whatever you want to call the divine. No one else has to know your deepest, darkest secrets. No one else is following your thought pattern. It's very important that you understand what it is that you are. We all have a temperament. We all have a personality. We are not all the same. Don't try to be something that you are not. Start by simply identifying what it is that you are. And then we can make corrections as necessary, if necessary. 
Freeing our minds from indoctrination is essential for a moral compass. If we are not free, we cannot make choices. As cosmic space adventurers, we should welcome the opportunity to examine many paths, many possibilities, expose ourselves to temptation. Come on, temptation, come at me. Let's put our human nature to the test. This is how we see what we are made of. Fearful people do not discuss morality. They are too afraid to examine themselves. They're shutting out all that frightens them. But what they don't realize is they're also shutting out the voice of the divine. Morality requires free will. It also requires an adventurous spirit. One of the things that helps us to define our moral code is that thing that no one wants to talk about, the family of origin. My goal today is to help us understand the importance of a personal moral code. Okay, if you don't have one, you are a toy for others to play with, to use and to abuse you as they see fit. And again, if we look at the past three years, it is easy to distinguish those with a strong moral core from those who willingly relinquish their sovereign rights to the establishment hive mind. There's something called shadow work in what I call spirit psychology. Jung used the term shadow self to describe the things people repress or do not like to acknowledge. He theorized that it is a counterweight to the persona, which is the self that people present to others. So the shadow self is the part of the psyche that people keep hidden from others and from themselves. And this is not healthy. I can understand keeping the darker side of oneself hidden from others. But if we want to lead functional, productive and, dare I say, happy lives, we can't hide from ourselves. That is a recipe for disaster and the disaster that we are experiencing all around us is in no small part due to this. We have to accept our joys and our woes begin at home. Home is where we learn the skills needed to negotiate the game of life. If we are raised well, in a home where virtuous behavior is extolled and wicked depraved behavior is condemned, we stand a good fighting chance in the game of life. And if we are not raised well, well, we need to work a little harder as we grow up. The family is our origin, the source of our initial development as a person. Our parents or guardians relationship with us colors our relationships with others. As painful as it is, uh, you know, visiting these memories, as painful as it might be, it would be naive to ignore the first and most influential relationships in life. It would, wouldn't it? Come on, admit it. Every aspect of our persona is an extension of our family life, such as it was. So why wouldn't you want to explore it? If you engage in behaviors that do not serve you well, wouldn't you like to know where that came from? Rather than go around going, I'm such a terrible person, I can't kick this habit. The same applies to behavior that does serve you well. It all starts at home, base camp. And I know, you know, some of you had families. 
Some of you grew up in orphanages and some of you grew up in the street. I know, I've heard it all. I know the world is a mixed bag of joy and woe. But we have to do this. We really have to do this. We have to examine what happened to us at base camp. Do you eat too much? Do you drink too much? Do you make inappropriate comments when you are embarrassed or put on the spot? I advise making a list of the things that are in your face each and every day that bother you and that you know you need to overcome. We humans, we're very good at taking care of everything on the outer edges, but not so adept at addressing the giant elephant in the room. Don't try to address everything at once either. You know, um, start with the most challenging issue and I'll pick something at random. Say, for example, are you addicted to stimulants of any type, whether it's booze or fatty foods or recreational drugs? Whatever. Gently, kindly examine where that behavior came from. In other words, who taught you that using stimulants was the only way to deal with your pain? I'm not going into great details with this, but self-honesty it is an essential part of identifying your core moral principles. Do not hide from yourselves. How are you going to fix things if you hide from yourselves? Don't hide from your past. It's your past. It's not your future. It's something you did in the past. It is not a life sentence. Carry no grievance. Make peace with your past. If you hide from yourself, you will never, ever transcend your cultural indoctrination. Life, my darlings, is a series of choices and corrections. Without self-confidence, you will be used as bait in this jungle of predators we currently call planet Earth. So a few tips before we move on with the rest of the show. What can I say that would be of value? Um, I think for me the most important thing is we must understand autonomy. The principle that addresses the concept of independence, autonomy. Your values may not be well received by the society in which you live. Mine certainly aren't. But if you understand autonomy, you will not be influenced and you will not break your moral code. You would rather die than, you know, and sometimes that is going to have to happen. And you will be aware of living in such a way as not to impinge on the rights of others. You will do no harm and you will not engage in actions that cause harm to others. You will honor commitments you made to yourself and consequently to others. That is what I mean by really understanding autonomy. Now, I'll leave it there for today for morality. But, you know, if you run into problems defining your moral code, especially if you're new at this, pick up a book from one of the Stoic philosophers and see if anything resonates with you. Everyone goes on about Marcus Aurelius, and he certainly was brilliant, um, a very practical chap. And if you don't know anything about the philosophy of Stoicism, start with Marcus Aurelius because he had a whole empire to run and he had plagues and wars and a whole bunch of shit went down and he dealt with it really well. So pick up Marcus Aurelius's meditations and don't rush through it. Don't stress. You see, life is eternal and that is good. 
because education is not something we can finish in one lifetime. That's my contribution to morality because we're living in an immoral world where people are blatantly ignoring their spirit sense. And you can only do that for so long before you either break through the illusion and become to be a jolly decent human being, or you will crash into the dark side and you may never recover in this incarnation. So there you are, darlings. I'd like to share a prayerful contemplation with you, if I may. It's a short one. And it's from a little book I picked up at my local library's secondhand bookshop. And the book is titled Blessings. It's written by Julia Cameron. And that's the gal who wrote an excellent little book called The Artist's Way. This little prayer that she wrote is called I Love Others for Their True Selves. I bless and salute the divine goodness available for all human beings and in all human beings. I allow people to be uniquely themselves, bringing their true natures and true gifts to our relationships. I do not demand that those who love me change their essential nature for my comfort. I express to them my nature. I tell them my truth. I do not hide or pretend I am different from what I am. I trust that each of us is a perfect part of the divine whole. I trust that each of us is as lovable as we are. I allow originality, inventiveness, and variability in my relationships. I invite the unique souls in my life to love me as their true selves allow. It's a darling little book, um, Blessings by Julia Cameron. You may want to pick one up. All right. Well, that was some heavy stuff, so... Let's move on to quack questions, answers, and comments. Darlings, if you would like to share the contents of your magnificent minds with martini heads across the solar system, send your emails to me, arnie at arnieabedissian.com, and your postcards to Cosmic Arnie, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070, USA. And please remember to let me know if and how you wish to be identified or I shall refer to you as omit personal details. So let's shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity. Shaky, shaky. Let's see what pops out. Our first missive is from a chap called Janos in Chicago. Janos, I think we've heard from you before, my little Greek-American friend. And Janos says, Dear Ani, how do you deal with people who refuse to explore ideas outside their belief systems? Well, Janos, I don't deal with them. I don't see the point in hitting my head against a brick wall um, or imparting information that is clearly not wanted. I simply focus on people who need help exploring new parameters. Try it, Janos. Gogonamo. It will save you much agony. Thank you for that, Janos. And uh, if I ever Go to Chicago again. I will. It's very cold in Chicago. Been there once, froze my ass off, came home. Um, but if I'm ever there, I'll look you up. All right, here's an email. And this is from Todd in Bakersfield, California. Uh, I always laugh, you know, when I, I don't laugh at Bakersfield. It's, it's a perfectly normal town. Um, but I always say, oh, Bakersfield, I know it well, because I have family in Fresno. 
And back in the day before the cult COVIDian, um, I would make the drive occasionally from Wilsonville to Fresno. And Bakersfield was my favorite last pit stop for gas and for coffee. I wonder if Cheryl's Diner is still there. I have to look that up. Anyway, back to Todd. Todd says, hey, Arnie, is it true that we are all descended from aliens? I think that's way cool. I have attached a photo of myself. Can you tell me which race I am descended from? Oh, I love all these martini heads. I just love you all. You just write these crazy letters and it just makes me so happy. Todd from Bakersfield. Well, humanoid beings did not originate on planet Earth. So yes, it is true. We are all descended from ET races. And I'm looking at your photo. And what I see is a very handsome human male. But I have to be honest, I keep getting visions of Saturn. So I'll go with that. I'm not really sure which race hails from Saturn. And it is, after all, a very gassy planet, isn't it? But that's my intuitive hit. So um, I suggest you travel there in meditation and see what happens. And if you get any juicy tidbits, drop me a line and let me know. Saturn, gas, a lot of action happening there. All right, let's, thank you, Todd, for that. And let's take another question um, from our fishbowl. But first, let me have a little drinky poo. This drink is really growing on me. And, ooh, ooh. and the more I drink, <clears throat> Um, the less fiery it becomes. I'm, I'm becoming accustomed to it. And I'm pretty sure it's killing all the germs in my body. So I think this is definitely a keeper. Where was I? Ah, oh, yes. Another question from the fishbowl. This is from Omit Personal Details uh, by the sender's request. And so that uh, Omit says, Ani, I heard you have a ministry on World of Warcraft. <laughs> Yes, I do. Um, do you also play the game for fun? If so, I would love to play with you. May I ask the name of your of your tune? That's uh, my character, uh, the tune. Your guild and which realm you play on. I promise I won't be a nuisance, but I would love to say hi and maybe go on a quest with you. All right, uh, this comes up a lot because I dared to tell everybody that I do have a ministry on World of Warcraft and I do enjoy the computer game for recreation on occasion. So yes, Omit, it is true. I have a ministry of sorts on World of Warcraft. I do have clients, mainly teenage boys, who feel more comfortable chatting with me in character in Azeroth than IRL uh, in real life for those of you who aren't gamers. And that particular tune is and always will be private. It will be private. You will never know that tune. But, but of course I play for fun. I mean, in Azeroth, you get to defeat the bad guys and restore the realm to glory without having to wait for white hat versus black hat devolution, confusion and all that. So, OK, just for fun. And don't make me regret this, all right? My realm is Airy Peak. The guild I belong to is the Defiant Ones. And my play for fun tune is Red Pill. Of course it's Red Pill. What other name would I give my tune? 
So I'll take a moment here to honor the man who introduced me to Warcraft, a client who passed a while ago. His name in real life was Duncan, and his tune was named Zherbai. So rest in peace, Duncan, and I'm sure you enjoy playing the game on a whole new level now in the heavenly realm. Omit, if you do look me up on WoW, please use the private message feature. Most people play the game to escape IRL, so we downplay our true identity and we don't, um, you know, we don't tout our products or hang up our shingle. So I'm Red Pill. You can welcome to introduce yourself, um, but keep it in the private chat, please. All right. What else is in the fishbowl? Let's pick something else. Let's do it. We have time. Here is a postcard from Freeport, Texas. And judging by the postcard, it looks like a lovely, lovely coastal town. So this is from Jack, who's vacationing in the area. And Jack asks, Ani, off the top of your head, which book would you recommend for someone who has just moved away from mainstream religion, but still recognizes the glory of God? Off the top of my head, the best books for newbies are both by Eckhart Tolle. And they are, number one, A New Earth, Awakening to Your Life's Purpose, and The Power of Now, A Guide to Spiritual Enlightenment. If you get those books for your newly liberated friend, he or she will be oh so happy. And Jack, thank you for your contribution to the expansion of consciousness, waking our friends up and releasing them from the matrix one book at a time. We do what we can. What else came through in the past two weeks here? Let's take a look. It always seems like forever between podcasts, but it's just two weeks. Here's an email, an email from Candice, who lives somewhere on the planet, um, I, I guess. And Candice says, I am busy raising two sons, God help me, <laughs> and supporting my husband's business and caring for our home. I don't have much time for hobbies but something inside me snapped recently and in a good way. My closest friend, whom I have known since ninth grade, died last month from a sudden onset of pancreatic cancer. Ouch. It was over before it began and we are all devastated. And yes, she was vaxxed and boosted. And now her family are terrified because they are vaxxed and boosted. But that's not what I want to discuss with you. Something happened to me when she died, and to be honest, I thought I was having a stroke. I can best describe it as divine revelation. In the blink of an eye, I saw through the illusion of life, and I felt a surge of magical energy flood every cell in my body. It is too much to put into words. Something changed, and now that I am aware of the reality behind the illusion, Please, would you help me find reliable sources of information? I have very little free time, and it would help if you could start me off with two or three websites or videos that pull the big picture together for me without going completely into the land of tinfoil hats. Candice, huzzah for you, my darling. I'm so glad it wasn't a stroke. Uh, here are three sources for you to start your journey into the reality behind the illusion, and all of them, I guarantee you, are no tinfoil hats. Uh, the first is The High Wire with Del Bigtree. The High Wire with Del Bigtree 
go to thehighwire.com and take it from there. You will be very pleased with his content and presentation. He is the son of a preacher man, son of a preacher man, and it's a very well produced show. You will be delighted um, with the guests that he has on there. Uh, the second is right here on Cosmic Reality. It's our very own Jan Shaw and her show, Cosmic Creating, the Cosmic Creating Show. Um, it, it's wonderful because she's an expert on collating and disseminating information pertinent to current issues. She will bring together a whole bunch of dots you never even thought existed. Um, and that's really very beneficial for newbies. And if you want to get into the nitty gritty show your titties of the political underworld, you should go to Steve Bannon's War Room on Rumble. Your eyes will be opened and your jaw will drop because he's got the scoop on all the political poop. I'll stop there because you said no more than three and I don't want to overwhelm you. There are many other resources and if you want them, drop me a line and I'll forward phase two of Operation What the Heck to you. Look up all the people also who have been censored and banned in and from the medical communities. I will just say one thing to you, Candice. Once you open the box, it's Pandora on crack. You thought you knew that the truth was stranger than fiction. You have no idea what has been going on on this planet in plain view and what a snow job the media has done in covering it up. And what do snow jobs create? Snowflakes. Do we have time for one more quick question, Arnie? Well, yes, Arnie, I believe we do. Let's pick something. Um, oh, I <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember this one. Okay, this is from Dean, who says, your poem about Dinty Moore stew made me laugh out loud. So I went out and bought a large can of their beef stew. I cooked it and I ate it. <laughs> you know, Arnie, it's not that bad. It wouldn't be my first choice, but it would make an excellent addition to a prepper pantry. I bought three cases from Walmart and a large case of Idahoan mashed potato flakes. If you put the mashed potato on top of the stew, you have instant shepherd's pie. Try it, Arnie. It's tasty. I, Dean, gosh, um, diligence. Wow. Um, three cases. Thank you. Uh, if I may just make a small correction. Shepherd's pie is made from lamb. If you use beef, it's cottage pie. OK, now that we've got that straight um, and I do see how that would work in an emergency. The world is blowing up around you. The zombie apocalypse is around the corner. People are screaming at you and they're coming at you. They're going brains, brains, brains. But you think to yourself, you know what? I could make a cottage pie. I have dinty more beef stew in a tin. I have Idahoan in my prep kit. Yes. Oh, my God. Uh, bon appetit, Dean. And thank you for that. <laughs> what fun. Um, there's a couple of more questions, but I don't think we have time for them today. So I'm going to wrap up questions, answers and comments for this show. May I say, may I? It is lovely to hear from you all. We started this show as a Q&A. 
you know, to see what simmered in the nodules of your noggins. We have evolved a bit since the early days, but quack will always be an important part of this show. All right, another sip of my drinky poo-poo. Hold on. Oh, yes. Ooh, that tickled my sissy. Let me take a moment now to thank the people who make intergalactic distribution of the show possible, Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington. They have so many items in the shop, it will make your eyes go pop. And there are many price points, so you won't go broke. And they recently acquired a dragon that blows colored smoke. They have crystals, shungite, energy devices, and more. So get your asses down there. What are you waiting for? Can't make the trip to the Pacific Northwest? Go to their website and let the buttons be pressed. Mysticalwares.com, online or on location. You'll be sure to give them a standing ovation. And they are wonderful people, lovely people. And they're very good at packing. I've always been very impressed by their packaging. While I'm shouting out, let me shout out to my local purveyor of fine beverages, Stafford Beverage in Wilsonville, Oregon, 10,000 square feet of liquid delight. Stafford Beverage is a new concept liquor store. They have well-informed staff who provide excellent customer service. And while I can't guarantee they have sampled every bottle in the store, because it is 10,000 square feet, they will always guide you in the right direction with respect and with humor, and they'll even carry your bourbon out to the car for you. They are lovely people. I enjoy spending my money there. So go there, Stafford Beverage, Jack Burns Boulevard in Wilsonville, Oregon, home of, well, not a lot really, but I live there. And now my darlings, let's finish up with some weird and wacky tidbits from the anus of history. Many thanks to the martini heads who love to send these in. I'm overwhelmed with wacky tidbits right now. Let's see what came in the other day. There once was a woman named Maria Spelterini, and she was clearly a badass because she was the only woman to cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Now, that's impressive, but wait, there's more. She did it with peach baskets strapped to her feet, as one does, and she did it twice. Well, we all want to make our mark on the world, don't we? <laughs> if I tried that, um, I would be a little dot of a mark sloshing around on a rock on the riverbed there. And Maria, how do you top that? What do you do next? Cross the English Channel by doing handstands while shelling a bucket of peas? So, well, hurrah for Maria. What else came in? There was a little tidbit somewhere. Here it is. Richard Nixon. In addition to being a terrible president, he was an accomplished musician. He could play piano, saxophone, clarinet, accordion, and violin. He once played Happy Birthday on the piano for Duke Ellington, and he played My Wild Irish Rose for his wife at the Grand Old Opry. Well, isn't that fascinating? It does not let you off the hook, though, Nixon. Um, what else? Oh, pilgrims never wore buckles on their hats. They didn't have buckles on their hats until the 1800s. So those early depictions of Thanksgiving are incorrect, the early Thanksgivings. Oh, here's fun. Um, when escalators were first introduced, people were terrified of them and they wouldn't use them. So, um, you know, they were up on the London Underground and the executives for the escalators manufacturer, uh, Molam and Cochrane, they um, they hired the services of a one-legged man 
named William Harris to demonstrate how safe it was. So he was riding up and down to show that those who took it were unlikely to lose his balance. So this one-legged man is hopping up and down the escalator all day long, convincing the English that escalators are safe. Uh, wow. Okay, well, you've got to make a living somehow. And something similar with the with the shopping carts. I mean, it, although it doesn't really involve one-legged men. Um, apparently, well, you know, now we can't imagine life without our shopping cart, can we? But they didn't catch on right away. Um, their inventor was uh, a chap called Goldman, and he was the chap who owned a chain of grocery stores in the South called Humpty Dumpty. So he first rolled out this new invention. Nobody wanted to use them. So he hired decoy shoppers to wheel them around in stores and demonstrate their convenience. And because we are a gullible lot, um, you know, it caught on. And guess what? That's it. We all have shopping carts now. And if you go to Costco, the shopping carts are bigger than my first apartment. Um, what else do I have? The owners of the Titanic never claimed it was unsinkable. And guess what? They were right. Because you know what? It sank. And then my last tidbit for today, um, when forks, forks, F-O-R-K-S, were introduced in 11th century Italy, religious leaders said that using artificial hands was an offense to God. Isn't that interesting? That must have been the same clerics who, who said um, that you can't have uh, pumps in mines to pump out the water because pumps had a void and there is no place where God is not. Uh, well, sound logic there, my darlings. Uh, thank you to the martini heads who send those in. Um, you can take a break from sending them in. I've got like stashes of them, but you know, and, and give me a month or so to catch up on those. Oh my God, what time is it, darlings? I think that's it for this week. I have finished my drink, have I? Let me Let me finish the drink, hang on. Oh, that was brilliant. <clears throat> I have now finished my drink, and that always means the end of the show. I hope you enjoyed listening in as much as I enjoyed recording it, because I had a blast. I always do. Why wouldn't I have a blast reaching out to like-minded people, martini heads all across the globe? I love you all. Today's real-life cocktail was a Joaquin Young Fresh pepper flavored vodka from the Ewing Young Distillery, which is located just down the road from me in Newburgh, Oregon. Now, I have tasted many flavored vodkas in my day and will continue to do so for the benefit of mankind, um, of course, but this one packs a pepper punch like no other, and it still goes down smooth. It's really different. Every household needs a bottle of this. Um, and as I looked at the beautifully designed bottle, what did I see? But in large, bold letters on the side, they have written metaphysics in a bottle. I added nothing to my drink today except one large cocktail olive. I just chilled the pepper vodka straight up in a chilled martini glass. I sipped slowly and it warmed the cockles of my heart. Well done, Ewing Young Distillery, for creating such a superior product. And you bet I'll be a regular visitor to your tasting room. So that's the Ewing Young Distillery in Newburgh, Oregon. And if you see me there, which you will, buy me a drink, why don't you? Now, remember, folks... Cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one drink is all you need. 
I'm Arnie, mad as the day is long, Avidician. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, my darlings, stay calm, stay centered, remain objective, with a clear perspective, and above all, let the spirit inhabit the human. have been listening to the metaphysical martini with Ani Avdisian, the mad shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com.